like if you have a dream and if you're lucky enough to achieve that dream, one thing that happens that nobody tells you about is you you lose that dream. Mm -hmm. Like you have no dream anymore. Right. And so you wake up that next day and you're like, well, what now? Like, what the hell do I do with myself? And that's, that's scary. Like it's really intensely scary and nobody's really told you how to deal with that or whatever. You have to go find another dream to kind of like reinvigorate you and keep you going. Um, and so that was kind of the impetus of this book. Hey, I'm Mark Manson, New York Times bestselling author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I am living large. <laughs> Welcome into the podcast, another great episode of Living Large. And to be honest, guys, I am really excited for this episode because this is a personal episode. I'm interviewing someone whose book changed my life. I was going through a difficult time a couple of months ago, going through a breakup. You guys know all about that and some life changes. I'm pulling out this cheat sheet here to, to know the, the title of his first book. It's called Models Attract Women Through Honesty. And then he also wrote the the number one New York Times bestseller, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, a counterintuitive approach to a living a good life, and here to promote his new book called Everything is Fucked, a book about hope. The language is great. He's got the same name as me, Mark Manson. What else could you want? <laughs> Welcome on to the show. This is going to be the best podcast ever because I have so many things to ask you. Let's do it. And honestly, before we get into to the new book, I want to talk about The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck briefly, mm-hmm. and then we'll get into the new book. Okay. This is the first book I read in six years. So that says something. You got to read more, man. And I read the entire book <laughs> on a flight to Atlanta, five hours, and I just couldn't put it down. That's awesome. What, what made you become an author and such a vulgar author? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, I, I was an unintentional author. So I started, I actually started just blogging online. Just kind of messing around, probably similar to what you did. Right, you just right. start messing around, and not blogging, but vlogging. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then suddenly people start showing up, and you're like, "Oh, crap! Yeah. I need to like start thinking about this." And um, it just kind of snowballed. It snowballed pretty quickly. And one of my, you know, I, I think what's what I've always tried to do with my content online is is just to be as authentic as possible. Mm-hmm. I, and so I write the way I talk. Um, I write about the subjects that I, I think about. I, I make the kind of jokes that I make with my friends. And uh, that inevitably means using the F word a lot. So, uh, <laughs> and people respond to that. People like that. There's kind of this sense that, uh, you know, if you're able to approach like deep and painful topics. Right, right. With a little bit of satire. with Yeah, with yeah. A, a little bit of humor, a little bit, a couple F bombs, maybe a poop joke here and there. Right. You know, it... it it's really refreshing. It, it like helps people enter that territory. And so I've just kind of stuck with it. It really is. And I think that's why I enjoyed the book so much. Cause it was my language, yeah. like vulgar, just like really relatable, like more of a conversation rather than, cause it is a self-help book where sure. it's like not telling me what to do. It's more so just like based on your experiences and how you yeah. want to react to these things. You're actually the first author I've had on the podcast. I don't know many Ooh. authors, but I had to reach out to you. <laughs> but uh, before we get into all the the books, the the history of you, let's talk about your new book. What's that one about? Because I'm excited to read that one. It looks like it. The, the cover is similar to the yeah. first one. So is it a sequel? Uh, I think that that's more just the publisher. You know, they want. Oh, okay, yeah. They, they want to be cash. honest, the 
the reason I picked your book is because I was at the airport. I was getting a, a Snickers bar. Yeah. And I look up and this fucking orange book <laughs> is just staring at me. Big, bold letters. The subtle art of not giving a fuck. I told the lady to wait. I went over and grabbed it and then I bought it. Yeah, man. So it's, it was eye catching. It's that traffic cone orange. It's, and I'm very judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it, I think it was one of those. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. So the new book is called Everything is Fucked, a book about hope. And basically. It's not really a sequel so much as it's just kind of an expansion around the same idea. So with the new book, a lot of what I'm talking about and thinking about is, well, you and I both, our professions exist on social media. Right. We're around social media all the time. So you know, as well as I do, as well as everybody, that social media is just a clusterfuck. Oh, like, terrible. It's just people angry at everything all the time, mm -hmm. day and night. Always. And two days go by and they forget what they're angry about because there's something new that they're angry right. about. And so we live in this very strange time where, where I think if you look materially, things are better than they've ever been. Like where we live longer, there are fewer wars, uh, we're safer, uh, we're wealthier, we're curing diseases, all right. these things. Yet everybody's freaking the fuck out. They have to give a fuck about something. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's like, they're just, there's all the stress and anxiety that's that's emerging in our culture today, even though things are materially better than they've ever been. So uh, the book kind of looks at why that is. You know, is it social media or is it something deeper? Um, is it the way how fragmented we're becoming? Is it inequality? It, you know, it, it's it's a book that kind of like dives into all these different topics and uh, tries to make a little bit of sense out of it. Well, I was reading it and my dad always told me two things never to talk about are religion and politics. <laughs> and it said that this is what you talk about in this yeah. book. Why are you touching on the two touchiest subjects? <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe, you... <laughs> maybe I'm a masochist. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's funny because my whole career I've avoided religion and politics. And, um, and it felt with this book, it felt unavoidable because so subtle art, as you know, like it, it's all about values. It's all about, right. you know, you need to choose something in your life that you care about more than anything else. And you direct all your focus and your energy towards that. Mm -hmm. That's where you find meaning. That's where you find purpose. And that's what will ultimately make you happy. Well, then you have to have a discussion of what do we value and why do we value that? And that's a, that's a really touchy and difficult discussion. And that's where the re religion and politics right. come in because it's ultimately we, we pick things like some things just feel inherently important mm -hmm. to some of us and other things feel inherently important to other people and then they fight about it. Yeah. And so I think I tried to kind of wade through the discussion of religion and politics. Uh, I mean, I myself am an atheist and I'm also like disgusted with every party on all sides. Right, right. Uh, so I tried to write the book in such a way that anybody, you know, whether you're on the right, you're on the left, you're religious, you're not religious, that you could you could go through it and see and kind of be like, okay, yeah, I get, I see that, I see myself. So you in didn't that. pick a side essentially. No, it's no not sides. like you projecting your values, your viewpoints on everyone else in this book. Exactly. It, it's more. I'm trying to just be descriptive of how humans behave when they form like religious or political tribes. Gotcha. Um, and that applies to everybody, both sides, you know, every group you can think of. Well, I'm looking forward to reading this book. It actually dropped yesterday. Yep. It's out now, guys. If you guys want to get it, go swoop it up at your local bookstore or maybe even 
you know, e-read it, whatever you guys do these <laughs> what, days. Whatever the kids do <laughs> these days. Uh, I actually like holding the book. It's it's much yeah. nicer to me because I can like annotate and highlight shit that's important to me. But let's let's jump into you. You were born in Austin, Texas. You're yep. 35. Yep. I would say you're young to be an author. When I think author, I think like some old ass dude or old ass lady <laughs> like sitting in the room like retired or something. You went to school in Boston for finance. Yeah. Here's my question. Why should people, why do people actually, because I listen to you, right? Yeah. I, I, I feel that your book changed me and made me more observant of becoming a man, to be honest. Sure. Why do I care about you, what you have to say when you're a finance major and you're giving me self-help? Like, what do you know? You know what I'm saying? Well, <laughs> my answer to that was, would be, uh. I made the mistake of going into finance <laughs> and <laughs> suffered the consequences. And so I have the, you know, I have the battle scars to prove it. Um, you know, it's funny because I, you know, my background, I was one of those guys in school who I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was, I was mostly there for the parties and the right. girls and, uh, and class was just something you did, you know, to keep the parties going. Right. Um, and so eventually, I, you know, I, at the time I was playing poker a lot and I was pretty, I'm pretty good with numbers mm -hmm. and, and I was in Boston and I wanted your favorite to, movies for sure. 21. <laughs> yeah. <it was> 21. <laughs> back then it was rounders. Too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which was a really good, really good flick. But I wanted to live in New York. So I was like, all my friends were going to finance and I was like, well, yeah, that's a way to make a bunch of money and do whatever. And, um, so I just kind of fell into it. And it was funny because I graduated in, the summer of 2007. So I graduated and like three months later, uh, Lehman brothers collapsed and the great recession hit. Ooh. And it was like, so there was zero terrible time to be in finance, zero <laughs> jobs, absolutely zero jobs. Um, so I've never done anything with it and I don't really have any desire to, um, I've, my friends who went into finance hated it and left. Uh, and then th because there were no jobs out there, uh, I was forced to find other solutions, which led me to start my, my first websites and my first internet business. And I want to talk about this because I feel like we're in such a video era, right? Like yes. social media content is driven by video, right? Yep. What made you take, and I'm sure a lot of people want to be writers, but I feel like the newspapers are dying, we're told, and magazines are dying, yeah. and it feels like such a risky business to get into. What yeah. made you turn from, obviously, finance, not working out, to being even a more risky business of like being an author, being a writer, being a blogger? Yeah. So I read, um, there's a book called uh, Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I think it came out like 06, 07. And he, he just writes about how oh, if you can even, you know, if you can create a website or an online business that just makes a couple thousand bucks passively, you can liberate a bunch of time and energy. and whatnot. Okay. So I read that. I was like 23, broke, no job, but I knew how to make a website. Mm -hmm. And so I read that and I'm like, hell, I'm going to get, I'm, I'm going to get on that. And so I started creating some websites that would, I would just kind of try to sell stuff, um, or like put ads on things right. and, and whatnot, a uh, bunch of different little projects that, that made a little money, not, not a whole lot. And it's funny cause you bring up the video thing back in those days, this is like 08, 09, mm -hmm. uh, video wasn't a thing. Like there were YouTube had, when did YouTube come out? I think around that time, 06, right? Six, I think. Yeah. Um, but I think it, I don't even know if Google owned it yet. Um, YouTube was this like, 
this just like crazy wild west right you know where where it, nobody, i feel like back then everything was email driven right everybody had email yes. list and it was like sharing shit that's how it went viral yep. like you would email something have you seen this you well, know what i'm and saying you, and you had the blogosphere so right. so like the same way the same way you guys will like reference each other in your in your vlogs like you'll reference another vlogger and right. like you can like somebody else will reference you back like you had what you had was you had this whole network of bloggers who would link and reference and quote each other. And so you built this kind of, there was kind of a network effect where all these blogs started taking off. So blogging back then was actually the hot new shit. So you hit the wave at the right time, as did I. Yes, exactly. So like, say if someone wanted to be a blogger now, it'd probably be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, It's rough. Um, Blogs are in like a very deep recession right now. But you're still getting, you told me 100 or 1.5 million readers a month. Yeah. And a half a million subscribers, roughly. Yeah, yeah. That's a fuckload of people reading. It is a lot. And I thought reading was dead. Not, not gonna lie no, no bullshit like no you know what's funny is is people are so blogs are kind of dying but publishing's doing great so books are doing are killing it right now okay um is it more ebook that's killing it or tangible physical physical book physical has made a huge comeback so i think what has happened is that uh you know people online reading like short form like you know hop on a blog and read a uh, an article for 20 seconds or whatever like that's gone away people be there's just too much garbage out there and there's it's also distracting and i think more more and more people want to do deep dives into either like a you know a, a a 20 page article or or get like a full book so blogging's in a very weird place right now whereas video is just exploding right um it's interesting too because podcasts are starting to come up, right? Yes. And like like you mentioned just now, people want to get into a deep dive. A podcast is essentially yeah. a deep dive conversation. Forty minutes is long, right? I feel like we went through the Vine era where everything was six seconds and yep. everybody had ADD, and then went to Instagram fifteen, sixty. Then vloggers pushed it to ten, and now podcasts are pushing it to like forty five minutes to an hour. Absolutely. And now documentaries are hot. Like yep. people are Netflix like, series. Exactly. People yep. are in the need to want to know more and more and more, especially about personal lives. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because so back then too, the, like the, the advice everybody gave you was like, you know, just crap out like a bunch of one page posts, like right. just crap out like 20 different one page posts each day rather than like spend the time to construct like a, a really well done 20 page post. And that was kind of the whole approach of, of the internet for many years. But I think what happened maybe four or five years ago is we hit like a saturation point. Like there's right. just too much noise online and there's too, too much conflicting information everywhere you go. You know, it's like you, you, you go on, you go on Twitter and it's like, Oh, gluten's killing everybody. Yeah. And you go on Facebook and it's like, Oh, gluten free is a hoax. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like, you don't know what to think anymore. <laughs> right. It's like, right. I, I, you get so confused. And so I think that's why people are being driven more back towards the long form deep dive because they want to understand complexity. They want to understand nuance, but you can't, get that unless you like sit down for an hour with somebody um and so in that sense it's 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 a great time to be doing stuff like this hi i'm arusha pires host of a new podcast called investing with ibd here are a few snippets from the conversations that we're having Facebook, you know, it's coming back. I was really treating it as a counter trend kind of stock. You have these really fast moving stocks. You want to have a little bit slower moving stocks yeah, also definitely. in your portfolio. What Bill observed after sitting through many market corrections is that the market will come down, but you need to wait a few days and see if there's going to be continued power. And that's where he came up with the follow through day concept. 
One of the most interesting things is, you know, utilities have actually been very, very strong over the last 52 weeks. The work that we've done on yield curve inversion suggests that after the yield curve inverts, over the next year, utility performance is actually not that good. Come join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. How did your blog take off? Was it a, a long, gradual process, or was it? Did you have something go viral that exploded it? Yeah, it it was both. So you know, there was a there was a grind for four or five years, and you were your own boss. Yes. What was that process like? Because a lot of people envy our jobs. Oh yeah. But I, a lot of people don't fucking know what goes into it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Dude, like, it's, it's like, I always tell people is that you basically, you give up a bunch of one kind of stress and replace yeah, yeah. it with another kind yeah. of stress. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, you don't have some obnoxious a-hole telling you yeah. what to do all the time. But if anything goes wrong, it's your fault. Right. You know, so um, it's a trade-off. And, and I think a lot of it is personality driven. You know, some people are kind of built for this and, um, and some people aren't. And that's fine. Um, but in terms of blogging, you know, I, I had a very, I, you know, I, I grinded for a long time and, and my, my wheelhouse early on was relationship advice. So that's mm-hmm. why, I, that's why I have the dating book for men. Um, that, and cause men really fucking need it, but, yeah. but that, that's, another, <laughs> I need it too, yeah, bro. <laughs> that's, that's another podcast. Yeah. Um, but so that was kind of my wheelhouse and I built like a pretty strong, like cult following. And then, and a funny thing happened once I, once I was a few years into the dating stuff, I started realizing that like there's not really such thing as a dating problem. Like right. any problem you have with your relationships, it's an extension of your personal problem. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's I would write articles about, you know, oh, a girl didn't call me back or whatever and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you actually get talking to the guy and it's like, well, he's needy as hell yeah. and he's got low self-esteem and he has nothing else going on. in this. So, of course, she didn't call him back. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, I started to realize that anything dating relationship related was really a personal issue. And so then I switched, I, I redid my website, I switched my brand and I said, okay, now I'm just going to talk about life, life advice in general. And as soon as I did that, that's when things started blowing up. Okay. I, had, I had a bunch of viral hits in 2013, 2014. That's back when Facebook wasn't uh-huh. garbage. Um, <laughs> and, and so I had a, a few huge viral hits on Facebook. And, and were uh, these personal based articles like about things you'd went through? A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it's very interesting. I wanted to ask you cause you're a married man now. Right. Yes. And I'm reading the subtle art of not giving a fuck. And you're talking about your wife, but you're also talking about, you know, you were in a relationship for three years and sure. she left you for some fucking teacher. Yeah. How does your wife, how do you balance? Like your, how does she feel about you talking about past relationships? She's cool with it. Um, I think that's important in a relationship too absolutely. because it existed, right? Absolutely. And if Cause, we, yeah, because it's I, one thing. My wife and I are very good. We're we're not jealous, mm-hmm. um, and actually, a value in our relationship is to not be jealous. Like if if one of us gets jealous about something, we talk about it very quickly mm-hmm. because we both recognize that that's a problem. Um, the the thing with past relationships is that's what makes you who you are. Like everything I learned before I met my wife about like how to love, how to care about somebody, how to trust somebody that came from previous girlfriends. Right. And so if I have an experience like, you know, my ex leaving me, uh, she needs to know about that. Like mm-hmm. that's a, that's actually, that's a very important part of who I am. And for us to have a good marriage, she needs to be aware of that and, and know, you know, 
and understand that. And it's the same thing. She has things in her past that um, I could get like really uptight and be like, oh, don't talk about that guy. Like, fuck yeah, that guy. Yeah. You know, but it's it's like, no, that that guy ha- was very influential on her. And like you could thank that guy almost. Yeah. And I mean, you could thank your ex. Be like, it's like the Ariana Grande song. Thank <laughs> you. Next. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally true. And, and I think I even say in subtle art at, at one point that it took me a while, but I eventually came to the conclusion that her cheating on me and leaving me was actually one of the best things that happened because it made me realize how shitty of a boyfriend I had been. Right. You know, it's like nobody cheats and leaves a guy if they're happy with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Know? No, like, yeah. like they have to be. So it, it's, it, it made me realize, and it also made me realize like things, there were a bunch of red flags before these things happened. Like there were a lot of, uh, right. Cause you can't blame yourself completely. No. Like it's not your fault. She cheated on you. No, but it's, it also <laughs> showed me what, to do and not do right. in a relationship and it also showed me what to tolerate and not tolerate because it's there was a whole string of inappropriate behavior for months leading up to it but i never put my foot down and be like wait that's unacceptable like and, i'm not going to be in a relationship with somebody who treats right. me that way that's and, and reading the book too really helped me understand too taking accountability for your actions what you yes. did wrong but you can't take responsibility for what the other person did wrong and that but do you think that that starts with someone wanting to get better like how can i convince myself to read your book for example like it it's a it's a task you know what i'm saying like i read it on a five-hour flight like i have to invest time in this and i have to want to get better and i feel like you have to be in the right mindset to do that yeah and like your your book isn't like talking shit about the other person for example it's more so like talking shit about yourself and being like damn you have to admit to yourself that you fucked up yep and how, how do you think people do that or listen to what you're saying I think so a huge theme of the book is is not running away from that realization, you know, that I fucked up or that I am fucked up because we all are. Yeah. And we all do fuck up. Yeah. And and that it's very hard to swallow that. And so so much of subtle art is just like kind of taking the reader by the hand and walking them through mental exercises and perspectives to show them it's like, yeah, you do it, too. Like and and. You know, that's why the personal stories that I put into the book, that's why they're so painful. Like they're basically the top four most painful things that ever happened to me. Was that hard to you for for you to open up and be that vulnerable to a a number one New York Times bestseller? (laughs) You know, it's funny writing it. There was some insecurity, but it's once it's out there, it's so liberating, you know, and it's it's so funny, too. So so like in the last chapter. I write about a friend of mine dying at a party when I was 19. And um, it's at this point, it's 16 years ago. And I, I get emails like every week, people like, oh, I'm so sorry about your friend, Josh, you know? And I'm like, well, thanks. But it was 16, 16 years, years like, yeah. I'm fine, but yeah. thank you. You know, yeah. and it, it's um, so it's just this funny thing where um, I, it, I think once you get those things out into the open, like when they're like all clumped up in your head, they feel like these massive painful things that like hold you down. Was this, was writing the book therapy for you? Oh, totally. All my writing is therapy for me. Like I, it's the way I deal with my issues is I write about them. And, uh, and so, but once you get them out there, you, you realize how insignificant and how common they are because it's, that's what i was thinking dude when i was reading it i'm like holy fuck 
textbook. This has happened in my relationship. Oh, this happened in my relationship. Absolutely. And the relatability and you being able to open up and be vulnerable about vulnerable about it was like, damn, like I'm not the only one going through this shit. Yeah. It's you know? like, like the girlfriend cheating and leaving me. Like I went, I spent like five years thinking I was the only one. Like nobody understood like how upset yeah. I was or how hurt I was. And then it, it's funny. Cause then you start writing this stuff, putting it out there and it's like, Eight million people are like, "Yeah, me too. I yeah, got cheated yeah. on." You know, yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> you know, and you realize it's just everybody. These are all experiences dealing with death, dealing with breakups, um, dealing with failures, career failures. Um, we all go through it. And you, and the book is a very logical approach to like mm-hmm. life itself. And you even say like emotions are temporary. So when you act on emotions, like you're not going to feel the same way today that you yes. do tomorrow, and all that stuff. Are you perfect in your relationship now that you've written this fucking book? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think there is a perfect relationship. You know, it, it's like uh, it's like if somebody asked you, you know, if you're like grinding in the gym really hard, you know, and somebody's like, are you in perfect health? Yeah, like, yeah. There's no such thing. Like you, there, all there is is just better than yesterday. And I think it's the same thing in a relationship. But does that still happen? Right. You've written a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. But you also say in the book that we as a society always have to give a fuck about something yes do you find yourself still giving a fuck about shit of course i mean it's it's about giving a fuck about better things okay you know and uh we have a a limited amount of fucks to give and and so it's about finding those handful of things and handful of people and then just dedicating all of our fucks to them so when you write these books and including your new book that just dropped do you do research or is this just solely based on personal experiences or from hearing from your audience? How do you, how do you write your book? Where do you start? It's um, so it starts with personal experience and then the research comes later or it comes as I'm writing. Um, so like for instance, with the, with, with this new book, um, I actually went through, I, I had a very bizarre experience. Like two things happen. One, one is, after subtle art came out and it blew up, it, it really fucked with my head. Cause there's pressure now, tons of pressure. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it really messed with my head because not only was I like anxious all the time, but I'm not allowed to be anxious because you know, I'm number one yeah. on the New York yeah. times. So it's like, if I go complain to anybody, right. I look like a dick. Right. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, crap, I feel, I feel awful, but everything's great. And so I can't say anything. And, um, and so I became, like I said earlier, writing is kind of my therapy. And so I, I, I eventually started kind of like writing stuff out and kind of investigating this idea. And, and what I, the conclusion I came to is that ultimately one thing that happens when you would, like if you have a dream and if you're lucky enough to achieve that dream, one thing that happens that nobody tells you about is you, you lose that dream. Mm-hmm. Like you have no dream anymore. Right. And so you wake up that next day and you're like, well, what now? Like, what the hell do I do with myself? And that's, that's scary. Like, it's really intensely scary. And, and it, it's, nobody's really told you how to deal with that or whatever. You have to go find another dream to kind of like reinvigorate you right. and keep you going. Um, and so that was kind of the impetus of this book. And then meanwhile, the second thing that happened was, was, you know, the 2016 election and just shit hit the fan everywhere. And, and everybody seemed to be freaking out on Mm -hmm. all sides. And 
when I was going through this and I, I kind of discovered this, this thing about hope, like you need to have this vision of the future that, that gives you hope. Otherwise you don't know what to do with yourself. And I realized that a lot of the social media and a lot of, uh, the way information is exchanged today prevents hope. Like it's designed mm. to, to prevent people from feeling hope and it creates a lot of envy, a lot of envy it it creates a lot of us versus them where there may not actually be an us versus them there you know it 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 it's very much makes it easy to think that you know this group of people is just evil and ruining right. the world when it's really like they're p- probably just the same as you and me um and so i started looking at that and i'm like oh shit like this is going on in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different ways throughout the world so um so yeah, it just I, I started hashing that out, and so then once I had that, that's when I start hitting the research. I start actually researching, you know, uh, you know how how information affects like well being and how anxiety emerges from comparison and and all these different things, um, you know, all the the opi- opioid crisis and mm-hmm. all this stuff, and so then that ends up informing. It, it's mainly to just kind of check and make sure I'm not like screwing up and telling people a bunch of bad stuff. Right. Um, but it's, it's fundamentally driven by like my personal experience. How long does it take you to write these books? Um, this one took about a year and a half. A What's more? that process like? Cause I know in today's day and age, like I said, like the vine thing and just like daily vlogging, for example, people want content quick, quick, quick all yeah. the time. Right. Do you, and I could never imagine working on a video for a year and a half. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I got to get that shit out the next day. Yeah. What's it like working on the same project for a year and a half and not knowing if it's going to be a, a good ROI? Sure. It's, um, well, it's terrifying yeah. <laughs> for one. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You go through different phases. Um, you know, you'll, you'll be bored and sick of it for a month. Um, I tend to, I don't know if everybody's like this, but I tend to like kind of become bipolar about it. So my wife always makes fun of me because uh, when I'm writing a book, I'll come home one week and I'm like, man this shit is going to change the world. <laughs> Everybody should read this. Oh my God, I'm going to be on Oprah. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and then like four days later I come home and I'm like, I'm an idiot. Nobody's going to read this. Yeah. This book's terrible. You know, and it just bounces back and forth, back and forth. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's hard. And, and I think one thing that I've learned, especially now that this is, you know, my third book, one thing I've learned is to, is to not trust those feelings as they come, you know, they're temporary. Yeah, they're yeah. exactly. They're totally temporary. Trust the idea, trust the, uh, the inspiration. Um, but it, it's, you know, anything you work on for 18 months, there's going to be a stretch of boredom. There's going to be a stretch of anxiety. There's going to be a stretch of pride and, and ego and you just write them all out. That's really awesome. I, yeah. Oh God. I couldn't imagine like sitting there <laughs> what is your what is your creative process like? Right, you come up with the idea. Are you like a Starbucks writer where you're sitting on your laptop in the corner drinking a latte, looking, <laughs> observing the people around you, or are you sitting at home, like in a dark room? Like, what do you that one the, really? the latter? Yeah, with l- really loud music playing. Stop. Yeah. How do you focus? Uh, I need it to focus. Like I don't know. It's just how my brain works. It's like so. I'll, like 
intense electronic music or or heavy metal. He's got like a full raging EDM concert going on while he's writing a book about not <laughs> yeah, giving a fuck. Dude, like Tomorrowland DJ sets. Oh my goodness. What I, does your wife do? Does she have a job or are you able to su- to support? Well, right right now, I mean, I'm definitely the uh the breadwinner. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> um it's actually it's ironic you asked that. She she started a, a YouTube channel. I mean, I'll plug it. She's Brazilian, so okay. it's, it's a Brazilian YouTube channel, but she she has a YouTube channel called Feliz Com a Vida. Um, which what does is, that mean? It means happy, ha- happy with life. Okay. Um, and her name is Fernanda, so it's it's kind of a pun. Like okay. her nickname is Faye. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like women's lifestyle stuff. And um, it's, Brazilians are very into social media. Yes. I have a huge fan base in Brazil. Yes. And they just devour that shit, dude. It's intense. They are really. I lived down there for two years, and they are like on top of it all the time. They're like dedicated fans. What would you say that the, speaking of fans, like what is your fan base? Because you do have a fan base. Sure. Because you're not just an author who disappears for a year and a half and then drops another book. You know what I'm saying? Like you're active on social media. You're active on your blog all the time. You're Mm going to do a tour coming up. Yep. Like you're not just fucking around, like sitting around like, oh, just dropped the book. Going to (laughs) drink beers for the rest of my life. You know what I'm saying? Like you're very in your audience's face. Yes. And that's important in in this day and age. So who's listening to you and why do you, why do you, you do different things than other authors. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. J.K. Rowling writes Harry Potter and disappears for the rest of her life. Yeah. You know, you're not. Yeah. I, I, I want to. I mean, I'm still, like you said, I'm young for an author. Right. And, and you you are right. I am young for, like, most popular published authors are 40s or 50s, you know? Um, I just turned 35. Uh, I'm... No big deal. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Number one bestseller by uh, 35. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, my audience, you know, originally with the blog, it was mostly millennials. Um but since the book has really expanded that quite a bit. So it's, I think now it's, it's expanded kind of into both like teens a little bit, but also up into kind of middle-aged people and even some older people. Like I've got this, um, one of my favorite emailers, one of my favorite fans is, is there's this woman named Phyllis who is like, I think she's 77 wow. and she sends me emails and like you know, 72 point font. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, uh, she sends me an email like every month and she just says the funniest stuff. She's, you know, she's like, well, I would read your article, but I lost my glasses <laughs> and I still can't find them. And, like that's the whole email. Oh <laughs> my like, goodness. I'm like, thanks Phyllis. You yeah. know, and she just always sending me stuff. So it, it's expanded quite a bit. Um, and I, I think it's, Ultimately, you know, I try to write about universal subjects. And so um, I think one reason I am so active is I do want to hit people in different places. You know, do you ever have older people coming up to you or writing to you saying, what the fuck do you know about life? You're only 35 all the time. <laughs> how do you how do you respond to that? Um, you know, I I I I have a I built a little loophole for myself with this question because I have a chapter in subtle art called why, why I'm wrong about everything. And so are you, um, you know, my, my response is like, yeah, I, of course I don't have it all figured out. And, uh, and of course I'm going to like make mistakes. Right. There are things I haven't experienced. Um, that's fine. You know, it's like, I just write about my experience and, and how I processed it and, and, and grew through it. Um, and if that works for you, great. 
And if it doesn't, then I don't give a fuck. Great. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's like everybody, you know, everybody needs something different. So who am I to say, you know, what what each individual person needs? What are some crazy, do you have any crazy fan stories, whether someone's coming up to you in public or just you've gotten some really fucked up emails like <laughs> where you're like, damn, I might have to call the police on this person. Like, do you have any stuff like that? Uh, well, I, I did have a stalker for a number of years, but I wrote about it in, in, in the book. Um, I've not had any like, legit creepy fan experiences you know, like most most of my fans are like super cool and really chill um every once in a while they get like a little uh clingy right or or Cause you give them an inch and they want a mile yeah and and it's like but whatever it's just it comes with having fans you know it's do you get recognized a lot no do you uh, like that yeah, because it doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> you like getting recognized, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it happens every couple months, which is, I think, a perfect amount. I think if it happened like every week, I'd, I it would get a little stressful. Because I feel like there's a thing here. There's a common theme, right? In the vlogs, for example, I vlogged my life for a year and a half straight. And uh, fans would come up to me and like basically, you know, assume we were friends, you know, because they yes. know everything about me. And I think through your blog and through your books, it's easy to assume like, I know you. Yes. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, like you don't know shit about the other person on the other side. Yes. You know what I'm saying? There's an asymmetry there. Right. Yeah. But it's kind of cool in the sense that, cause you're someone that I look up to, you know what I'm saying? And I have kids that look up to me and I never realized this honestly until yeah. reading your book where it's like, damn, like he's open about his life. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And like now I'm, now I'm interested it's like fucking with my head. Cause I'm like, <laughs> cause I've always asked myself, why do people watch me? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then I, I could sit here and be like, well, why did I read his book? Sure. And it's just the openness and the relatability and the vulnerability. Totally. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Anybody can be funny and cute. Uh, and it's, unless you're like supremely funny and cute, you know, you, it's not going to last for more than yeah. a few years or whatever. Um, what makes people feel like they have a sense, and this is true for a fan relationship, like a vlog or whatever, but also one-on-one, -on -one. what makes people feel like an intimacy and a connection to you is, is that openness about your flaws? Is that openness about your experiences? Is, you know, saying like, oh yeah, I, fuck, I dropped out of school and my girl left me right. and I was broke for a while, like that, because that's actually... That's, you know, that's when the empathy comes in and that's, but can that be mistaken for like pity, feeling pity for someone? I, it depends on your intention. So okay. if you if you say those things looking for sympathy, then yeah, it's, it's just a pity party. But if you say it just because that's who you are and you, you own it and you're just sharing yourself, then that's actually powerful. That's like, that's actually, that is what confidence is, is, is being comfortable with your flaws. Um, and so, yeah, man, I encourage you to keep doing that because what happens is, is when those kids see you do that, it gives them permission to do it. Right. You know, it's, it's, they say like, oh shit, if Mark can do it and be okay, then I can too. And, and so it improves their relationships as well. What advice would you have to someone? Cause like I said, you're the first author I've had on here. I've mm -hmm. never asked this of authors. I've asked of social media stars, actors, musicians, Someone really enjoys reading. Someone really enjoys writing. Mm -hmm. What do they have to do in today's day and age to become an author? Yeah. I think 
online platform is is becoming more and more important than ever before. So it's get online as soon as possible, start publishing, start posting, um, get on YouTube, create a podcast, you know, just, just start putting content out and yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be bad at first. Right. You're going to screw up and you're going to embarrass yourself, but whatever, you can always delete it later. And if nobody watches yeah. it, nobody's going to know you deleted it. So, um, but yeah, you just got to start, you got to build that online platform because the, the bigger, the bigger the online platform is, the more leverage you'll, you'll have when you go to the publishers, um, the more you'll be able to get a book deal. And also the, just the more experience you'll get under your belt. You get to test ideas. Like I test, before I put an idea in a book, I test it on my blog and mm-hmm. see if people like it. And, um, and that's amazing. Like it's, that's something authors, you couldn't do that as an author, you know. 10, 20 it's, years it's so crazy because through acting, social media, and even writing, all of it starts with content. Yes. And being basically self-employed and, and having the willingness to do it by yourself, whether it doesn't matter what platform it is. And that's how this day and age has changed, right? It's not yeah. about getting published in the newspaper anymore. It's about starting your own blog and getting the recognition. It's not about going to Capitol Records and saying, hey, here's my mixtape. Will you will you yeah. sign me? It's okay, I'm going to start on SoundCloud. I'm going to start on YouTube. I'm going to throw up my music because I can. I could self-distribute and then grow from there. Do you need, because your first book was self-published, do sure. you need a publisher? Obviously, there was a huge leap from yeah. with a publisher. You know what I'm saying? Is yeah. it like having a label where it's like, boom, money backing this, promoting this on every bookshelf? Is that how that works? Ideally, yes. I, I think what's changed now is is back in the day, you had to slave away in private and then convince some big company to, to put you out there. Right. Today, you build the audience first and, and building the audience yourself online, whether it's through SoundCloud or YouTube or, or on a blog, it's like proof of concept. And then you can go to that company and say, hey, I have this audience. Uh, and if you sign me, we can like triple quadruple this audience. Um, so it, it's safer for the company now and yeah, they don't add as much as they say they did, you know, they don't have as much power or control as they did say like five years ago, but, um, they're an amplifier. So if you're, if you're killing it on YouTube or whatever, signing with a company, you know, you'll just kill it even more. You know, there's, there's not a whole lot of downside to it. Where do you see books going in the next five to 10 years? Do you think they'll still exist? Yeah, people, it's funny because you said before we started, or maybe it was while we were recording, you said that you're like, yeah, I like the physical book. Yeah. Um, me too. It's like I did the ebook thing for five years and then I, I, I moved and I was like, you know what? I want a library. And like, I'm now I'm like only reading physical books. And I think a lot of people have come back to that of, of just like the physical sensation of like holding something and like putting it on a shelf and, and knowing seeing you're done. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, it's making a comeback. It's, I don't know if it's like a retro thing, but like physical books are here to stay. I feel like it's like styles. They cycle back, right? It went to the ebook and now it's back to, and even styles now it's going back to the nineties and eighties. Everybody's dressing like that. And yeah, I like, I feel like, like I said, this is the first book I've read, 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 ridden. (laughs) It's, It's the first book I've ridden in six, like since college. I didn't. And you know what it taught me, dude? It taught me to like how much I fucking love learning. Yeah. And how much I thought I know everything, but like reading something and like yeah. dissecting it 
just makes me feel more knowledgeable. And, and like I said, made me turn into a better person for my next relationship or whatever. We'll leave on this question. Okay. This is probably what a lot of people want to know. What's the best advice you could give for someone in a relationship? <laughs> um, I wish I had like a single pithy answer. I mean, essentially r- relationships come down to, I think the core values need to be respect, trust, and affection. And so it needs to be, um, actually, let me, let me back up. I think I do have something pithy relationships. They need to be unconditional. I think the relationships that fail when they start to break down, it's because people start putting conditions on their own affection. But I thought in your book, you said that love isn't unconditional because we all have values. And if we were to love unconditionally, we would eliminate our values. Yeah. Well, so what I say, yeah, what I mean in the book is, I guess another way to put it is, uh, you can love unconditionally, but that doesn't mean you have to, the relationship has to be unconditional. So it's like, I love my wife on like whatever my wife does, I'll still like, she could go kill 20 people and I'll still love her. Doesn't mean I'll stay with her. (laughs) So the relationship is always conditional, but I think, uh, I think what I, what I mean is like specifically on like kind of a, a day to day level, like when a lot of relationships start breaking down, people start withholding their affection and like holding, like they kind of hold their affection hostage. So it's like, well, I would love you, but you didn't take out the trash and you made fun of my shoes. And like, so I'm going to punish you for that, Mm -hmm. you know, or, um, or I, I would, I can't tell you the truth because if I tell you the truth, you're going to get mad and blame right. me and all this stuff. And and so I'm just going to like make up a story. And so it's like you start putting all these like these conditions on everything. And I think the way to keep a, a relationship healthy is you just keep it, keep your actions towards each other unconditional. Like it's just be honest, uh, don't hold grudges and don't withhold, don't try to manipulate the other person. Just be like, this is how I feel. And communication yeah and tell me how you feel and then like we'll just figure it out like it's don't don't try to control the other the other person or how they feel awesome well thank you man i appreciate it you've changed my life (laughs) hopefully the podcast episode has changed a few you guys can check out his new book everything is fucked (laughs) i'll link it down in the description below if you guys want to buy it (laughs) uh always a pleasure mark manson pleasure meeting you thank you guys for listening to this episode of living large and we'll see you guys next week rate us five stars in the app store and also don't forget to drop a like and hit that subscribe button to the youtube channel we'll see you guys next time deuces I am Arusha Pires, host of a new podcast called Investing with IBD. Here are a few snippets from the conversations that we're having. Ah, Facebook, you know, it's coming back. I was really treating it as a counter trend kind of stock. You have these really fast moving stocks. You want to have a little bit slower moving stocks yeah, also definitely. in your portfolio. What Bill observed after sitting through many market corrections is that the market will come down, but you need to wait a few days and see if there's going to be continued power. And that's where he came up with the follow-through day concept. 
One of the most interesting things is, you know, utilities have actually been very, very strong over the last 52 weeks. The work that we've done on yield curve inversion suggests that after the yield curve inverts, over the next year, utility performance is actually not that good. Come join the conversation on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.